<laughs> I forgot what, what were we talking about like maybe I mentioned this I don't know who meant, put this idea in my head but like just killing Jay Leno in like Burbank and like one of his cars like he's got like a the convertible just I don't like talking about that on this show <laughs> I just think that'd just be so funny to do like a daytime shooting <laughs> running up on Jay Leno and killing him in one of his like exotic cars yeah <laughs> Man. <laughs> just two guns in my hand, like yeah. storming him in traffic. <laughs> Funnier than any other death scenario I could think of. And you have a, um, what's it called? Uh, manifesto, but the manifesto is just the book, The War for Late Night. <laughs> <laughs> big Conan fan yeah. after all these years. Big, oh, I was going to say big Letterman fan. Oh, I, true, I forgot yeah. which book was called which, but uh, I think the joke... Yeah. It's regardless <laughs> the joke. Oh boy, this is a comedy podcast. The big joke. Yeah. I mean, it better be a comedy podcast, or else I'm giving credible threats right now. That's very <laughs> true. <laughs> That's very true. Look, all he said is that it was a funny scene. That's true. Yeah, it's it's that a funny true. scene. This is a movie. Yeah. It's a movie podcast. It's much like those fucking awful improv podcasts where people make shit up. Yeah. This is a movie podcast where sometimes we envision scenes that haven't been produced yet. <laughs> yeah, it's God. This, I would love to see that in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be just a quick ca- a Leno cameo. <laughs> He's not in the movie otherwise. <laughs> it all began when Leno was struck. You just on see Burbank. it on the news. And <laughs> 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 it's just like an empty stage of like his old. Like I guess this is when he was still on TV. But it's just like the Tonight Show is just empty, and it's like his monologue, and the band is still like playing off of his jokes or whatever was just like the the epic tribute the epic nine minute silent monologue <laughs> tribute to jay and you just get kevin eubanks <laughs> laughing oh man i hadn't heard about that one jay <laughs> St- stephen colbert just does a full five minute sob for his monologue <laughs> yeah leno was there for us when times were hard he yeah. you know he taught us to laugh when others wouldn't uh, even letterman was like you know i'm just gonna say it Tune in to NBC right now. <laughs> Letterman shaves off his beard for Leno yeah. <laughs> out of a sign of solidarity with the Leno family. Now we're kind of getting out of the timeline <laughs> no, here. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. But it's okay. I think it's okay to get out of the timeline today. Timelines don't have to be perfectly chronological. They can have some things that kind of mess with you. Uh, they can have some images and sounds that don't quite go together in the chronology that you thought they did and some narrative happenstances that might not happen the way you thought they did. We're talking about what was referred to as the postmodern film by Frederick Jameson, um, The Terrorizers, or sorry, just Terrorizers. Terrorizers. I, my, my title card on like uh, on the movie, it, it said The Terrorizers, but yeah. on Letterboxd it says Terrorizers. I kind of like Terrorizers. Yeah, the VHS, the classic VHS cover, yeah. I think just says Terrorizers. Um, regardless... The film is Terrorizers by our good old friend Edward Yang, who I believe off mic you two had established the family lineage of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're he, you and Andrew Yang are his father. So I'm glad that you, you're coming to the table with a lot of knowledge on him today. And look, my new partner and family is teaching me a lot about economics. <laughs> That's a good way to like, you know, people like when they get married, they like they do the two last names. Instead mm. of you should just 
take your child and like you know do that instead yes, what you guys exactly did. very progressive i like i like this new couple you progressive know. in terms of like nobody has done this yet yeah. we are the first people we're breaking ground not here. like politically progressive no, just, just progressive like in general it's like yeah. prog rock it's weird it's real progress <laughs> but terrorizers uh this is edward yang coming off of taipei's story uh going back to work quite quickly if you look at the rest of his filmography there's much longer gaps between his films obviously later in his career this has to do with the terminal illness that eventually took his life but the the productivity going b from taipei story to terrorizers i think is really interesting because it almost feels like taipei story is the the study of taipei and its people and the terrorizers kind of just shuffles the deck of that movie and makes it into this kind of like if if uh taipei story is modernist in the Antonioni sense then this is postmodernist in the sense that he's still very influenced by Antonioni and particularly blow up here but he's shuffling the deck so hard he's rewriting history <laughs> and he's just like combining genres and just making an absolutely puzzling but beautiful film out of it no yeah I I'd seen I've seen uh I saw Yi at the LACMA theater Rest I was in there too damn dude just, that's crazy that's another pre-extended clip screening that we were both at <laughs> we passed each other in the hallway we didn't even know we but passed <laughs> each other the virtual joint the, the, <laughs> the telekinetic joint throughout the theater <laughs> and uh and i after seeing that i was very struck in the back by that and i went to go see taipei's story or I, I watched it at home i should say and i didn't quite uh connect to it and like so i was very happy i really connected to terrorizers and like i feel like you know what you're saying kind of like this shuffling of the deck and the shuffle done with like uh such like precise imagery too mm -hmm. like just uh like every shot feels so uh well thought out and so important every cut too and uh i, I yeah I, re I really attached to this movie and it's just kind of visual style it's it's mood and kind of like i feel like it's i noticed the sound design on this movie more so than like mm. i do with other movies and it really uh it was engrossing yeah, I mean, shout out to the recent enough restoration. For a long time, people only saw this on VHS, where I'm sure the details of the sound design, let alone the color grading and these beautiful compositions were compromised, to be sure. But now we have it in pristine Blu-ray quality, and it looks absolutely incredible. Every frame is so dense, whether it's one of these, is the word tableau when it's like a frame within a frame kind of thing? I, I feel like that's maybe I'm using the wrong word here. Art nerds can attack. Yeah, me. I, was just, I don't uh, know. I don't yeah, know. but regardless, the frames within the frames, as I wrote on my letterboxed log, uh, can kind of represent like the narrative of this film and how it kind of splinters. And there's so many different kind of possibilities and offshoots, uh, despite it being kind of a straightforward story, right? Like it, it once you get all of the the mumbo jumbo out of the way and really break down what happens, you know. And so should I just break down what happens then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what Go what for the it. fuck happened in this movie? Right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of took me halfway through to kind of really piece yeah. it together. Mm -hmm. But I it guess, took I'm me like two and a half viewings to piece it together, <laughs> and I still do not get it. But I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, and when I say do not get it, I mean like I'm not the master of the terrorizers. I just <laughs> I simply get it now, you know. <laughs> so we see this photographer alerted by a police siren in the morning. Him and his girlfriend have this great apartment with this beautiful soft drape 
like the one that I'm looking at right now, where it's just to diffuse the light a little bit, you know, and to play out these conversations or even just like wordless exchanges between them with one person behind that drape, one person not. Um, Yang uses these small pieces of set design, you know, obviously combined with cinematography to just come up with so many ridiculous images. But anyway, sorry, getting <laughs> sidetracked on what happens. So hard enough to formal. Keep... Hey, enough formalism, pal. Let's I get know. to the plot. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so there's a siren, right? And uh, there, there's there's some shooting going on. Like, what what the heck's going on? The cops show up. They're like, "Well, we're gonna call the SWAT team." And what am I watching? The Shield again? <laughs> uh, and so we hear shots fired. They're totally like disassociated from how things are playing out visually. We see a woman all by herself shaking out some laundry as the shots are fired. She doesn't seem to hear them. But I think that implies that sound and image are not quite lined up at this moment. In the aftermath of this, we see the photographer trying to snap pictures of everything. We see the guy that's being apprehended by the police after the shots were fired and the body was found on the ground. And we see the girl that he was helping get away. Uh, She falls down, hurts her ankle. The photographer takes some more pictures of her. And from then on, it's kind of just like intertwining the lives of this girl who got away from the crime scene, uh, this guy, the photographer, and his girlfriend, and this older couple. Now, this older couple, we have a, a lab technician who just, you know, it seems like he just can't quite get to that next level you know he's he's trying to be the boss man can't quite get to the next level has to deal with his friend totally messing up and you know work stuff collapsing around him and meanwhile his wife is at home trying to write this book and trying to find a way out of their marriage basically by cheating on him with uh an old friend who's starting a business and also wants to work with her Oh boy, the the combination of capitalism and romance in Taipei. What a thing to dissect. I'm not the one to dissect it. I'm just saying, Ooh. what a thing to dissect. Yeah, there's been a lot of... Uh, I've, I've visited a lot of message boards and they've ta- tappled, tackled this subject. It's called hypergamy, you know, and it's... Oh, cool. uh, no, <laughs> it's... Uh, no, I don't really yeah. have a bit for this. <laughs> uh, so, sorry, I'll... I'll, I'll finish up the premise here so i could let you guys talk (laughs) uh the premise if you can call it that so we have this older couple as i said uh older meaning like they're maybe early to mid 30s ancient i I think the (laughs) the age range in this movie is like uh from 14 to 34 or something like that but regardless their lives intertwine when the young girl who got away from the crime scene is bored boarded up at home by a family member maybe her mom it seems more distant than that maybe an aunt or something like yeah, that it's like a grandma maybe yeah yeah and she's just going through the uh she's just going through the address book prank calling people and she prank calls this older couple sending the wife who's writing this novel into a spiral of you know paranoia about her husband cheating on her despite the fact that she's the one cheating and he's not and uh, yeah, so we, we just kind of see these glimpses into these characters' lives until the third act when the plotting of the first kind of comes back uh, in a very strange postmodern dreamlike way. But regardless, now that I've laid all the cards on the table, mm-hmm. what, what do we think of this movie, at least up until the last, you know, 
10, 15 minutes, which I kind of want to walk through as well. This was my first uh, film by Edward Yang. And I like going into this. I mean, obviously, you can just engage with the pure pleasure of these beautiful images. But I, uh, I don't know. This is something I'm looking forward to unlocking sort of through this discussion and upon rewatch. I think this is something where it's very clearly a dense text. But I did a little bit of skimming the Jameson to try and get a handle on it here. And something that I really latched onto with his analysis and just um, relating to a lot of the pure, like formal elements and visual pleasure you get from watching this. I love the way Yang shows uh, the city spaces here and in relationship to the interconnected nature of the story. It's like, obviously a big city urban environment, it's where people are being brought together, but so much of this is just isolated elements of uh, these characters' lives just being listless and depressed. And the way he, like, composes images, like you were saying, Eddie, like, shooting through, like, mirrors or, like, framing with, like, other objects, um, particularly buildings, it doesn't give, like, a real strong sense of, like, space of the city. It constructs it in an interesting way that it's just, like, it it could be sort of, I I don't want to say any city, but, like, out of, like, a particular place Mm -hmm. in sort of, like, shuffling the deck, it is just i don't know the the spaces feel like more stray areas in time that are not like explicitly connected Mm -hmm. i feel like the way like there's this technique i feel like yang uses a lot at least in this movie because he loves to kind of shoot a a character kind of like very wide very like surrounded by usually you know empty spaces and kind of like the creaking and noises around them but like um, I noticed that he also like he loves to contrast it by then you know giving like a nice close up or whatever. And I feel like the way Yang sequences his images, there really can be like emotional gut punches sometimes, one cut mm-hmm. to the other. Like something like uh, when the husband is kind of receiving the news that the wife you know she wants a separation, and you know at first you know his head's kind of cut off in the frame, and then we just have this straight cut to him just hands buried in the table. And then that, you know, is the next part of the sequence is then he's, you know, kind of complaining given his case for, you know, not a separation. Mm. She's just cooking tea, you know, in the kitchen. And it's just there's such a a big there's such like a big remove from everything until Yang really decides to, you know, kind of punch it in and really like let you feel that. Yeah, I think that breakup scene um, is really interesting because when you get that cut to him on the table, uh, mm-hmm. like burying his head in his hands, kind of, it feels like like I thought they moved from one room to another yeah. almost, and it's he's not you know giving you establishing shots as you would think, despite the fact that there are so many you know wide shots in this movie, they're not establishing shots you kind of just move from one place to another there are these beautiful you know close-ups on things like the the little thing you pull on to turn on the lamp uh, or (laughs) other dangling objects that will start a scene rather than a traditional establishing shot and I think the attention to detail uh, and just those close-ups are really magnificent and one detail that I want to remark upon is the shot of the photographer's boots in the beginning when he's getting ready 
uh, to go out, like right when he hears the police siren and he wants to leave, he uh, to go shoot this crime scene. You know, he is getting ready and we hear the hustle and bustle of his morning routine, but we just get this insert insert shot of his boots on the ground that could might as well like it may as well be a still photo like there's no movement in the frame at all uh and then it just moves to the next shot of him you know leaving the apartment or whatever and i was reminded of late period robert brisson movies like the devil probably and largent Mm -hmm. and those frames where he kind of just lingers on a space after a character leaves or there's something that feels asynchronous in the editing but then that image that was asynchronous is what really stuck out to you, you know? And so the image of the boots, for example, has stuck with me since then, despite the fact that it's on the screen for a, a second, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think Yang treats those things with, you know, great importance, obviously, mm-hmm. like whether it's that, or even kind of maybe, maybe not necessarily asynchronous, but like kind of like almost kind of like poetic details, like the, the can- Coke cans falling down. Oh. Or of course, I think towards the back end of the movie, the, the vase bursting open. And like, instead of like it being like a seasoning to the scene or like just a, a sense of variety, it's almost like these are kind of like these uh, emotional points of the scene. Like seeing the yeah. vase burst open is like given is given such great impact that it, it holds so much emotional weight. Yeah, as much as it is about how much these people are both alienated within uh, this city and interconnected by the sheer fact that they're all living right next to each other, it's also about that very space, despite the non-discreet quality that you brought up, JT, because I I think that is true, especially the more kind of close in on the characters that you get and these kind of expressive scenes that are you know bathed in red whether he's developing photos or not you know uh you you really do lose track of space and it is just the pure emotions and images but i what oh i had something just there about space in terms in terms of that sense of space one moment that i really got that sense where it's like you're sort of out of any particular location, but really with, um, I don't know, the emotional impact of uh, of what's going on is when the photographer's sort of like dangling over oh, the yeah. side of the like the railing and taking pictures of the woman from the crime earlier. It's like there is obviously a sense of location as you see her sort of walking across like a, a bridge or something, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's just, just seeing him just sort of floating there is uh, really beautiful and graceful. And also in terms of this, the one thing I wanted to say, Malcolm, you mentioned the Coke cans that fall over early on. It's, you know, on his way to shoot this crime scene or really once he gets there, even uh, the photographer is really taken aback by this, you know, natural seeming still life, this, this empty table that has a couple of soda cans on it and maybe a cup on the other end. I think there's maybe a third object on there or something, but he just snaps the picture. It cuts back to him, I guess, but the Coke cans like pop up in the air. Almost the effect looks like it's a reversed image or something like that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they did to get it, but it looks like, you know, the camera got the Coke cans to jump. That's kind of the, the meaning of the cut there. And it's, it's such a remarkable like focus on that detail of a room that no characters in the film have actually been in at all. And it's just establishing that room as one of the places in the film, you know? No. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting like how the movie will give, you know, weight to certain things like that. And it's definitely right to, but like, and then like certain aspects like are done with like such brevity that it's mm. like, uh, 
like I thinking of like when the wife first cheats, it's almost a kind of almost a humorous cut where it's like maybe not humorous, but like just it's so it's so brisk, like like uh, like he, the the ex-boyfriend or whatever is like consoling her, you know, from, you know, just general consolation then snap right, you know, post post sex there in the bed. Yeah. And, you know, she doesn't even matter whether it's good or not. It was just it's just kind of like, I don't know, just. It, 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 there's a lot of severity to that and I, I think it's, it's really good filmmaking I mean I think there is some humor in sort of in, that plays out in that scene yeah. where it's like them talking about like her work as like an author and her remarks about after all it's fiction not reality and that that's sort of playing into like how he's like fucking around with the narrative here I think that mm-hmm. is like I don't know kind of light and funny in a way mm-hmm. yeah and also like just thinking of all these characters here they're all kind of especially like the photographer character he has like he's obsessed with like this you know this girl he shot on the street turns out you know he gets fleeced for his cameras or whatever you know finds the girl and then you know he's like all right i'm just gonna go back to my girlfriend now or whatever it's like all these characters are very like non-communicate like they don't communicate at all and that they don't really you know what i mean like the husband character he's so frustrated with his wife but like doesn't bother to like the read the books she she uh, writes or anything which like is that. just completely about what's happening yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the exchange with his co-worker is great where I, I feel like the co-worker knows that the book is directly about yeah. him he's like so i mean did you read it he's like i i don't have time for novels <laughs> just people like I'm not in the habit of reading novels <laughs> People who have like no idea what each other want, kind of a small idea, very small idea of what they want, just kind of like a concept, very kind of, I guess, the grim outlook on kind of like humor, human interactions. Yeah, I mean, it's very very much like Antonioni in that regard. It's like that trilogy with Monica Vitti, the alienation trilogy. Mm -hmm. All of these people, like no matter how... Uh, romantic the romantic flourishes may be these people are you know so desolate (laughs) so sad and like the the thing with the photographer's girlfriend that's another dangling object that starts a scene is her IV drip after she attempts suicide and it's just like a 30 second shot in a van and then it I think then it cuts to a different scene entirely Mm -hmm. and it's it's one of those moments where I'm not even sure if it really happened yeah. And it's it's so strange because once we get later into the film, the dream realm does come into play. Yeah. So does I'm if I'm remembering correctly, does after that does that cut to like the nighttime apartment smoke in your eyes scene? Is that happen at, or maybe no? Not, oh. The the one actually, you know what it is, because uh, that's right after the smoke gets okay. in your eyes scene, which I'll talk about right after this. But the I have it written down here from the IV drip scene. After that, you go to that affair of the the wife of the married couple and you have uh, that that morning after and it's like or not morning after but after they have sex and you have those like really overblown white skies coming into the apartment that's like more like garish than anything i've seen <laughs> in the film everything else it's like he got the exposure to look to make the sky look fucking beautiful and perfect and then the those apartment exteriors uh just have that just completely overblown white light coming into them uh that's really beautiful in a strange way the subtle like i love the subtle use of color too kind of like 
just a few images like kind of like the the reds of like kind of like was it a black room yeah. dark room dark room yeah come and on then, man <laughs> <laughs> it's like how are they they should Malcolm, call it a red room t- take a knee <laughs> take a knee <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right um <laughs> or just like kind of like the golden yellow of like the conference room or yeah, whatever okay the golden yeah. yellow <laughs> of the conference room straight out of a comic book yeah. that was beautiful <laughs> yeah the conference room we're talking about is at the uh the lab the medical lab that the husband the lab tech husband works at and we see him like after the the boss of his died which ends up messing up his buddy who messed up uh and they're like all consoling each other in this conference room and sorting out who's going to be next in order and stuff and he just like walks up the stairs takes one look and we just get this beautiful like very rectangular uh orange room from his perspective like a cinemascope frame within the wide scope uh, or within the wide frame and uh yeah it's like shocking like cartoonishly lit uh but very beautiful and uh yeah i, I don't know the the colors throughout this are just insane but i think the the red particularly it's echoed from the dark room to the husband and wife domestic scenes uh as you said their communication is terrible and there's one scene where yeah after she cheats on him the first time uh, she's just like smoking, waiting for him to come home. We get that great scene of her putting away the ashtray and everything. And he just goes straight to the bathroom and just like zones out in the mirror. <laughs> and she's just like walking over slowly to tell, oh, I met up with uh, that guy that I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, he wants me to work for him. And he guy's just stone faced about it. He's just like, yeah, okay. Sounds yeah. cool. Just get that. And you get that great close up of her just drenched in the red light and, yeah you're just i guess thinking about the other character with the the dark room and uh the internet connectivity despite their disparately different you know social standings and everything like that uh just their lives in general being so different yeah it's it's an unlimited uh film of threads to pick at i guess in that regard let me pick out another one um because i just have lists and lists of things yeah it's like a lot a lot of my notes are like writing down just like the sequencing of shots or something like that because there's so many instances within the movie where like that is just so striking you mentioned earlier the smoke gets in your eyes scene i i I definitely wanted to get to that because it's like you talk about how like i mean the married couple obviously has like problems with communication but i love that he's like he drops there's no audio of them like yelling at each other or fighting or any of the the other sound in there it's just that like purposefully obscuring like where you could be gaining details and communication there by just leaving that out i think that's very beautiful there yeah the the scene plays out wonderfully as it's that the relative of the criminal girl yeah. uh lighting up a smoke frustrated that she has to take in her niece granddaughter whatever the fuck uh, you know sorry i yeah uh people who know more about the movie i side note everything i read about this movie nobody fucking gets the details right every every review i read yeah there was something that like when i watched it again today i was like i think that person misremembered the movie <laughs> uh and it, it's totally totally makes sense it, this film is so confounding and there's so many images that like force you to not even be able to think about placing that image within a narrative it's just yeah. the image is going to be in your brain also just like i don't is it i don't even think it's like established like what the relationship is between mm. those two characters so you know we get to we get to infer but also yeah. it's like just kind of a sidebar but like 
you know, let's say you're in the business of obscuring or obscuring, reviewing obscure movies. If there's not like a Wikipedia plot description of the movie, you could just make up something that happens yeah. in the movie in your review <laughs> uh, 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 and praise it. That like no one's no one can really double check. You. There's probably we only do it few... on the podcast all the <laughs> yeah. fucking time. Yeah, all the movies that like we dig out of obscurity for our quote unquote fans to watch, <laughs> and none of them watch because they're not real movies. I've made up all the synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if just if you ever want to do that, if that somehow could put you in a game somehow, do that. (laughs) (laughs) But the photographer and the criminal, you know, they they have this kind of the meat cute in his photo layer with his (laughs) giant mosaic of her. She's just like she walks into this room and just sees a fucking, you know, eight by ten foot mosaic of her with like a bunch of different photos and just faints. It's a very (laughs) funny scene. Meat meat cute. You know, I I, that's a new that's a new phrase to me. I haven't heard that one. You haven't heard meat cute? No, I haven't heard meat cute. Are you serious? No, I no, I haven't. That's been around since like the thirties. Really? If not before. Meet cute? Yeah, dude. That's like screenwriting <laughs> I guess one of the things. Yeah, like how you get the characters to bump into each other. Oh, yeah. so it's like, scene. it's like a writing thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like um so we're starting our, our rom com right now where me yeah. and JT are lovers. So the <laughs> yes. first scene, uh we're we both uh quit our jobs and then get into a head-on collision driving home angrily from our previous jobs and i fly out of my uh fly through the windshield and into his arms and we just start making out vigorously (laughs) the beginning of crash that's more of a that's more of a meat hot yeah (laughs) you get the idea yeah i got the idea damn i didn't know like that sounds like a new one i didn't know that was that's 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 an ancient classic okay no yeah the meat cute's an ancient classic for sure i'm glad to teach you every day about screenwriting shows shows you my fucking education cute i want to see some cute meat (laughs) (laughs) some nice small delectable penis (laughs) <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, let's reel it in here <laughs> as we said the the relationship between the photographer and the girl is just a non-starter once yeah. they get together it's like well this isn't gonna work and uh, they go their separate ways we, we see i is it before that yeah it's before that uh that's how he lures her in she's like turning tricks but not actually you know sleeping with men she's like luring men she's in as a prostitute and fle- is that a new one no just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, that was that was curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> curiosity tamp- killed the milk this time. <laughs> Don't tamper curiosity, man. <laughs> it's a rare thing. But yeah, the the fleecing stuff is great. You get some really you know terrified shots of her as you know it's revealed. You, you know she's you know, she's just a teenager trying trying to pull these get these stunts off. It's she, like her brother that like waits outside the door, or maybe well, not brother. That could be that, yeah. that. That also I think is fake. yeah I think yeah. That's I think her criminal homie getting her out of it. Yeah. and saying she's only fourteen when maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's not. The brother thing seems much more like oh this you know yeah she's a she's a made man. We got to get her out of this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, you get an amazing cut. From the photos rippling after she leaves, the mosaic fo- photos rippling to, I guess, the husband j- jumping into a pool. It, it's such a short shot. You just know it's a male you, yeah, body jumping into a is. pool. You mm-hmm. don't know who it is. I think I, maybe you'd assume that it's the the, photo- the photographer, though, maybe, but since like, he's like at his house. Yeah. That big house. Maybe they got a pool. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. For some reason, I thought that was like... A, like a loft in an apartment or some shit like that. Like, I mean, it's a brief shot. I mean, yeah, we might have to revisit still, it again. Maybe it'll take four viewings. For Terrorist one explained. 
Terror, terror, terrorist. terrorist. <laughs> yeah, terrorist threats by Absol explained. Terrorist is the name of our postmodernist Jay Leno movie. What did, what did Edward Yang mean when he said, I've seen a picture of Hitler in the picture with the Twin Towers dropped? My, my brother is like, no, that makes sense. I, I forgot I forgot how he explained it to me, but just, uh, or he's like, the, the evils that loom behind the mm. 9-11 going down. Mm. So, hey, look into that. Look into that. Look into Tower 7. <laughs> look into terrorist threats by <laughs> Absol and Danny Brown. <laughs> it's a good song. Yeah, I don't know about that. But um, I thought it was great when I was 15, and now I listen and it's just nonsense. It's like it's a yeah. cool beat, and I still like Danny Brown. Like yeah. Dan- Danny's part is good, but all the Absol stuff like now going back to it, it's like, come on. No, man. yeah. yeah. It's- I say 15. I guess I was like 17, but still. Even the, that's embarrassing to admit, right? The best, the best part of it is when he just starts, like he just starts going non sequitur. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, well, we don't need to get into dude. This. <laughs> Music got, review, dude. I'm <laughs> sorry, but the line you got progress, you got Congress. No, yeah, come on, man. Well, that's what I'm saying. That that all that's. Hey, it's I stand by. There's a lot of views, a lot yeah. of likes on the song, a lot of positive comments okay. on the song. <laughs> <laughs> Populist Malcolm. Uh, Populist Malcolm. We've known this. We've known this about me. Whatever. We got to get it. Get out of the music review segment. Nobody likes reviewing bars. Yeah. Oh god. Bar it's by dark. It's the it's the photo of the three ten year old white kids. Is <laughs> <laughs> absolutely overrated. Rap genius. Yeah. Hey, rap genius started by white guys. So that's oh god. That, that's a shocker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Couldn't uh, have uh, fucking uh, thought of that. <laughs> Food for thought. So. <laughs> okay. Back to terrorizers. Back to the terrorists. Uh, <laughs> The novel, you know, she publishes the novel. She wins the big prize, which I love. It's like a contest. It's one of those, like, you know how the 80s movies always end up with a contest where the protagonist to win? Yeah. Uh, this is just like her little contest off to the side in her version of the 80s movie. Uh, she she won the big prize. She got the novel first place for best new author or whatever. The 80s were different. You know, people had different views of the 80s. This is true. But is the story entirely true? That's the thing. It's just like this creates another version of the story that we just watched, you know? But then we see this husband. He's so dejected. He even gets a promotion. He's the big boss now, but he doesn't give a shit. He, his wife left him, and mm-hmm. it sucks, and he's not even going to read her book to find out why. So he shows up at his old cop buddy's house. One of my favorite, easily the funniest part of the movie for me is the cop saying, I've never seen you this happy before. <laughs> and he just looks like he wants to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, the big the fake smile. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's hilarious. The cop has absolutely no read on his best friend. <laughs> so we see this incredible dream sequence then play out uh, where the husband goes on a killing spree. He just jacks the gun from his cop buddy's holster and he shoots some people from the corporate world, and then we see almost a loop of the beginning. We see that body laying on the ground where it was in the beginning, but it takes it a step further. He goes and he fucking murders the uh, guy who his wife is cheating on him with, but this shot is just one of the most poetic in the whole movies where there's a struggle at the door. The guy doesn't want to let him in. So this this husband, this disgraced husband, shoots him through the door to blow the door open. The bullet goes through the guy and breaks this vase with flowers in it. Vase, sorry. (laughs) And the glass shatters everywhere, and we just get this kind of prolonged, maybe two, three-second shot of the water just running out of the vase. 
and it's insane. It kind of reminds yeah. me of uh, Femme Fatale, the end of that, with all the water overflowing before the dream is revealed. But it's so beautiful, just this slow crawl till death. And then things get super surreal and hyped up as the cops come back in and breach the door. And we hear the kick of the door being breached and a gunshot firing at the same time. Uh, cut to, you know, the, the wall of splattered blood and the cop waking up. And it's like, oh, that was a crazy dream. <laughs> oh, he's actually dead. And the whole dream was just like, you know, the the part where he went and stole the gun was real. And he yeah. just went and shot himself uh, while his cop buddy was sleeping in the other room. It, it is. It's funny, right? Because it's like the, the story of the novel, right? Not exactly uplifting. You know what I mean? Not exactly positive. <laughs> but it's like scintillating in a way, right? It's like this man, he gets cheated on. He gets revenge by, you know, killing his ex's lover. When in reality, most likely he's just going to murk himself. Well, <laughs> yeah. so that could, yeah. that's the thing. Oh, yeah. Is that sequence the novel? Is that sequence just the cop's dream? That's true. Is that sequence a shared dream between the wife who worries about her him killing the the man that she's with now uh, and the cop? That, that's what I gathered from it is it could be any of those things. I think that bringing the novel into it is part of the what the husband would imagine the novel to be. True. And so maybe this is just this last grasp psychosis dream from the husband. But it's the reactions from the cop and the the ex-wife waking up, basically, seemingly waking up from this dream that we watched that make it so endlessly confounding. Yeah. Uh, And also the beautiful, beautiful cut to black. One of my favorites ever when the wife just has no idea what to do. She's fucking queasy from this. (laughs) Uh, Her new lover is trying to console her. And she just leans over to the side of the bed and yaks. And it cuts to black before the vomit can even hit the carpet. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the the credits then play seemingly in fast forward. Yeah, I uh, noticed that. And it's just time. As I said in my letterbox review, sorry uh, to do this, but I wrote on it. So I have thoughts on it already. Uh, the time, like time doesn't not exist, but it comes so close to not existing. It's so <laughs> abstracted. Time is so fucking gone in this movie. I read that it takes place over the course of two weeks, but to me, that means nothing. No, it yeah. could be two yeah. days, two months, a year. It could be anything. Yeah, no, it would be a fool's errand, I feel like, to speak definitively about, like, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, I feel like that's even remarked upon, you know, with the darkroom apartment, right? You know, they have that... He's like, I don't know what time it is or whatever. And then they go mm-hmm. bet to see if it's daylight or nighttime. Yeah. And a it, great bet. Classic bet. And yeah. that, that's actually very relatable. The first time I watched this movie was an all day movie marathon in my blacked out bedroom. And I remember that line hitting me like, <laughs> I do not know what fucking time it is. Right now. <laughs> I mean, I love the way Yang shoots like these nighttime scenes or like just like these uh, like these nighttime scenes or like, you know, uh, dark room scenes in the apartment. And I feel like just like. I mean, of course, there's other aspects to that, you know, make the photographer character interesting. But it's so great to, like, just find an excuse, like, production-wise. I'm thinking, like, let's just black out this room. Like, it's going to look sick. And, like, he knows, like, the way he lets light illuminate onto, like, the the bodies of people in these dark rooms in such a, I mean, such a beautiful-looking way. Any final thoughts on terrorizers? Uh, I love the when she goes to her uh, the the criminal goes to the family member's house. She has the globalization pillow. It was the <laughs> pillow on the sofa that just has like 
all of the flags on it, but like most prominently is like Israel, U.S., and one other one I think. Big but, uh, three. The big three: <laughs> Israel, U.S., and China. Yeah, uh, I I don't remember what the other what flags were on it specifically, but I think that's going to do it. Real quick, and now this is going to be very outdated, but actually only a day old. Never mind. Money Malcolmson. I'm, I'm Malcolm, Kramer, and welcome to my world. You need to get in the Yeah, you got anything going tonight? Yeah, well, you I know got what? some stuff going. Tonight. Yeah, let me pull up my phone real quick. It's gonna I got, I got take a, a couple, second. I got, uh, I got a couple things going tonight. So we're recording. Usually we record a little more in advance, as you've been able to tell by our previous Money Malcolm segments that are usually very outdated, as pretty much any sports podcast would be uh, <laughs> that doesn't just like record early in the morning af- off of last night's news. Uh, and do it for that day, but we're not that kind of podcast. But regardless, I I put a couple dollars just on the Dodgers, uh, who are on a fucking tear right now. I think they're minus one and a half, so they have to win by two runs tonight. So I put a couple bucks on that, um, and I'm doing this, and I know it sounds stupid. I'm doing this because I'm going broke, <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have some money deposited in some sports betting websites from over the years to use, you know. But regardless, yeah, I, I, as I said, I have the uh, the the minus one and a half Dodgers, and then I also have the Lakers. You know, the Lakers without their two biggest stars aren't shit, but I I just keep watching them almost win games and even win games. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting I'm putting a buck on them plus six and a half against the the Jazz, possibly the best team in the NBA right now when fully healthy, uh, other than the the Brooklyn Nets. And I also put a little th- that's kind of my safety bet on my parlay for tonight, the big money action. Hedging your bets. I'm going Malcolm mode. I'm not only hedging my bets, I'm putting it all on the bay. I, <laughs> Dude, I did this. I did this this past weekend. And the Warriors, man, they they keep fighting. They're they're a real yeah. dog shit team this season. Yeah. And Steph Curry is just the greatest shooter I have ever seen in my life and probably of all time. So, I'm I'm putting a parlay on Warriors uh plus 5 tonight and uh, Lakers plus six. So as long as both of those teams keep it close enough, they don't have to win. They just got to keep it close enough. What about you? <laughs> All right. So before I get into today's bets, you know, I just, I'll give my, uh, my big bet of the week that, that hit uh, last, uh, <laughs> last week. I had uh, Nikola Vuvicic of the Chicago Bulls. Zach Levine is injured. So he's going to. Sorry, pr- did you say Vuvovich? Vuvicic. <laughs> Vucevic. Vucevic. Sorry, I've Nikola- only, I only know it because I've been saying it since he played at USC <laughs> for whatever reason. All right, Vucevic. Vucevic is going to assume a lot of the offense with Levine out. So I had him getting over four and a half assists. Darius Garland of the Cavs to score over 17 and a half points. He's kind of a selfish player. He gets his shots off. That's good for betting. And uh, Chicago to win by two and a half. That turned $6 into 40 and uh, kind of just mostly broke even this past week. But Tonight's bets. I think I dipped back into the Vucevic Garland well since they're. I think they're playing each other today. Yeah, the Bulls and the Cavs are playing. Or no, they're not. But all right, I have some pretty crazy parlays going on here. We got Alex Pokusevski of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Poku, everyone loves Poku. I love Poku. Yeah, over three and a half assists. Vooch with over three and a half assists. Garland to have over eighteen and a half points. Sadiq Bay of the Detroit Pistons to have over four and a half total rebounds, eight bucks to win a hundred dollars. 
All right, Money Malcolm. That's a big one. Uh, <laughs> now, I'll read one. I have another one. And okay. This is just a list at this point. But okay. we got Kyle Anderson of the Memphis Grizzlies will have over three and a half assists. Kevin Porter Jr. of the Houston Rockets will score or over 15 and a half points. Grayson Allen of the Memphis Grizzlies will score two and a half, three points or more. Joe Ingles of the Utah Jazz will score 16 or more points against the Lakers. So, yeah, I'm kind of... I like the team stuff, but it's the play. I feel like the players are a little bit easier to Yeah, it predict. could be. It could be. Yeah. The, the the site that I have a couple bucks in right now is a little lower in terms of player props. It doesn't have as many options as something like Bovada. Mm-hmm. Um, but, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it takes me. <laughs> I might even I might throw down a, a player stat-based. Uh, actually, I, I got it right here. I might, I might want to do one on the air. You know, uh, the I, I'm not gonna do it. On uh, yeah, uh, that, that's a little <laughs> ridiculous. But I I'm gonna put together something for a player stat. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, parlay, and we'll talk to you about it on the main feed on Friday <laughs> yeah. when we talk about golf movies. True, the sports talks continues. I hope you sports like it. Sports talk continues. <laughs> the low post is brought to you. <laughs> I like his advertisement cadence. Yeah, Some, it's like, great. He's like it's uh, great. he'll throw a little bit of lightness into it. You know, in yeah, the read. Like, like, you can kind of tell great. where he's fast forwarding a little too. Yeah. Like in his mind, he's just like, and State Farm can help you with the blah 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 blah. blah. Rookie of the year. It's always important. <laughs> Zach Lowe's a consummate professional. I love Zach Lowe. Zach, buddy, come on the pod. <laughs> Off season. I know you're busy. Off season. Let's talk about basketball movies. Okay. See you next week.